0: leadership season four episode four and you've turned in tuned in not turned in what is wrong with me (laughs) you've tuned in for another tangent rant whatever you want to call it so thanks for joining
1: us (laughs) you never mess up I'm happy about it somebody said to me I can't remember who I was talking to but they're like I was listening to your podcast you guys don't say uh you don't say um it's like a well-oiled machine, but the reality is we screw up all of the time. And I'm not going to edit this out cuz people need to see the real us.
0: Yeah, that's good. I don't I just had a really bad tongue tie, but we're back. We're here. We've got a great guest, and we're going to talk about things that we feel like are pertinent for this week. Yeah.
1: Yes. So, pe- people are <laughs> I said people. <laughs> <laughs> we aren't even drinking yet. What's happening? No. Okay, people are probably wondering what well, we are drinking.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not drinking anything yet. I'm drinking water right now, but I might have a high noon soon.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to have a high noon as well because it just feels like it feels like we have been partying for my daughter's 10th birthday for a good week. Can you imagine when this girl turns 21, what's going to happen? Because when she yeah. turns 10, we have now had a party for seven straight days what is up with that what's going on
0: she had a great party
1: she did we are living in a barbie world which i know we're going to be continuing to talk about but we loved the barbie world she had a great time we've had a pool party we've had a family party we've had the birthday party i mean it's just a, a constant party but hey she's living her best life as we know
0: yeah And I mean, why wouldn't she love it? You had that great Barbie box, the candy board you made, all the cookies, that cake. It was fantastic.
1: Yeah, we had two cakes because one's not good enough. We needed multiple cakes and we needed cookies with our faces on it. and It was just great. And you and I even fit into the Barbie box together. It was wonderful.
0: We're going to post the picture for you all so you can laugh. No,
1: we aren't. (laughs) No, No, we are not. Okay. (laughs) What are we talking about today? So, we've had three great guests. I mean, we've had Joe, and you know, he was our kickoff, right? And we had Sarah, yep, Sarah was a a repeat guest, and she was great. And then, who else have we had?
0: Last week, we had
1: the beauty. Oh, yeah, Natalie, don't trip. Natalie, don't trip the beauty queen. And I'll tell you, I loved her interview. I love all of our interviews, but I did, I texted you and I was like, I just love this episode. She's, I think she's outstanding.
0: She really was good. And she taught us all a valuable lesson that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover and you should keep going. So we love that.
1: (laughs) We do love that. Okay. So what are we going to talk about today? Because we have A really incredible guest yet again. And this is a guest that reached out to us or maybe her publicist reached out to us. I can't remember how that went.
0: Yeah. So we have a really great guest. She is a clinical associate professor at the Kellogg School of Management. She's an executive coach. She's a TEDx speaker. She's a brand specialist and the author of The Mirror Door, Breakthrough, The Hidden Barrier That Locks Successful Women in Place. So you can already tell we love talking to her. And we're going (laughs) to-
1: She's smart. You can tell she's smart.
0: So smart, which we also really love. But before that, everyone needs to hear a good tangent. And our tangent of the week, the first thing we're going to talk about is something that Courtney and I like to call baseline leadership. And this, we might be creating a verbiage or a word for this because we've talked about this so much. So everybody hear us out. Okay. This is something we both agree on. So we're not going back and forth this week. (laughs) (laughs) There is a quote out there that says the worst behavior someone is willing to tolerate, everybody else learns from that. So they either like know that that's just what's going to happen. It's what's accepted. It's kind of the norm. So they go from rating themselves at all the way at the bottom instead of all the way at the top. And so a lot of times when Courtney and I talk about different leadership styles and different ways that you can do things. I think that when you talk about it out loud, there's almost a sense of arrogance that can come to it. But when we're talking about that, that is not what we're saying, because there are plenty of people out there that do things way better than me on a daily basis. In fact, I mess up all the time. But we think that there should be a baseline level of leadership that if you take the call into leadership that you should be expected to do. Do you want to share more on your thoughts about that, Courtney?
1: I do. Of course I do. Thank you for the yeah. offer. So I agree with you. I do. Well, I love that quote. And it's something about the behavior that the the worst behavior that the leader in an organization is willing to tolerate is, or I, I don't know, we need to find the, find the okay. quote as I'm okay. going on my tangent. But the, what we were talking about offline was that there should be people get so frustrated with, leaders. And a lot of people equate leadership with a title. We don't we do not believe that leadership is a title. We know people that have the title of a leader and they don't exhibit leadership, but we also know that when you do have that title that you hold a great deal of responsibility and power associated with it and how you utilize or exercise that power matters and that there should be a baseline leadership of the most simple things when it comes to communication, decision-making, accountability, the things that we hope to see in all organizations in every single industry. And we were talking about that it really frustrates us when those things are not evident and apparent, and then it creates frustration and the people get upset about it. And then People write into the podcast and talk about it, and then we get all wrapped up in everybody's business too, trying to problem solve, because we're problem solvers, not problem finders like last week. But we were talking about today that there really should be some basic expectations when it comes to leadership. But again, any leader should be held accountable, just like we would expect anyone in an organization should be held accountable. And when they aren't, it causes major issues. There's the beginning of my tangent. Did you find the quote? I do I want to quote. What it's is it? It's the culture
0: of any organization is shaped by the worst behavior the leader is willing to tolerate.
1: That's it. That sounds way better than what you and I said. Yes. that's Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We agree. Then, ooh, yes. Because I feel like Day-to-day in education, you have to make so many decisions all the time, whether you are in the classroom, you're at building level administration, you're at district level administration, whether you're the school bus driver and the kids are acting wild on the school bus. Either way, you need to make a multitude of decisions throughout the entire day. And people have decision fatigue, they get burnt out. That's when you need to have good support systems put in place for people. But I think that the baseline that we're talking about is the ability to communicate, make a decision, and carry on with the
1: decision. That's it. Yes. And not only just communicate and make the decision, but have some foundational principles that people do understand what you stand for. Yeah. There are just certain, I mean, you and I agree on some things, some things we don't agree on, but we have some baseline leadership expectations that i would hope anybody that listens to this podcast would know that this is a non-negotiable i don't know that maybe there's a phrase for it or a word for it but there's too many people sitting in industries everywhere that are concerned and complaining about quote-unquote leadership Mm -hmm. so if this is about unsupervised leadership And seeing what that means in each and every industry, there just should be some bottom line principles that when I hear some of these stories, I'm like, really, how does that ever happen? I know that there's people out there listening right now talking back to the radio saying, yes, how does that happen?
0: I think it's also going back to remembering that education is a people driven industry, right? There is so many times where we get caught up in the numbers and the data and what we have to do tomorrow and what we have to do in a week. But the day-to-day piece that is so important is to model for others. I think what you expect of yourself, because that's really all we can ask for. And I think if someone's struggling I know when you or I see that, our immediate reaction is to help them because that's the human innate, you know, struggle that people have. And I think that bringing it down to such a basic level and getting rid of all the fluff and all the extra pieces for people is what people are missing, especially, you know, in a post-pandemic world where we have a lot of kids that struggle with a lot of different needs at this point in time.
1: Right. It would be like a teacher seeing a student struggling and walking by and ignoring it. We would never allow that, would we? We, I mean, think about people that work in different industries, in the business world. Everybody wants to feel, what did Joe say on the very first episode? Valued, heard, and respected. And so people feel disrespected when something's happening and everyone sees it and they feel like they're crumbling. But we hear about this more and more and more. So I think the question too is, and organizations, industries should be asking this, what is lacking? What is lacking and what are the specifics in the leadership component that we need to avoid distress, miscommunication, mistrust, all of those things that none of us like to have in the workplace? Because I think one of the things that we do value here is how can we make every workplace better, more efficient, solid, you know, happy, joyful, all of those different things, which is no easy task. I'm not saying it. that it's easy, but if there's not some type of baseline expectation from the leader, and it goes back to that quote, if we're willing to tolerate this type of behavior, then why wouldn't everyone exhibit that type of behavior? Because if one right. person does it, why should everybody? Yeah. Yeah. But the average people What? Yeah.
0: I said the adverse is also true because if you set the expectation higher and people know no matter what, you're always going to come and help them or you're always going to respond. I think innately, even if it's not something that they were triggered to do on their own, they would say, I've seen this so much because so many people come out to help me that if someone else is in need, I'm going to be the first person to help them.
1: Yeah. I mean, basic. It's basic. <laughs> we think that it's basic. How would you describe your leadership style? You know that's always the question. That question always drives me crazy, but do you have a leadership style? Would that you, know, you would say
0: I do, but you know what we should do? And I'm this is triggering me, this triggering, this is making me think of I listened to another podcast, okay, and they asked somebody else on a podcast, describe your style in three words instead of like, give me your, whatever, what you would call your style. So what would you say your leadership is in three words? I'm going to do this to you really fast. And then I'll say mine.
1: Okay. I would say, um, I'm going to say situational because it depends on my situation. I would say relational or personal or personable. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say, people centered.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: I don't know. That's off the top of my head now. Yeah. I feel like you're going to, um, you're going to knock it out of the park. Because no, no,
0: I'm not. I'm not. So, I don't. What would you say? Really think about. It. I think if I had to say it in three words, I would say people first in whatever the situation is. Yes. And I, I like think that. the second one I would say is communicate And the third one I would say is transparent because I think like I lead the way that I feel good or bad. So I bring humor to some things that might not be humorous, but that's just how I'm feeling at the moment to get people to like, take a deep breath, wrap around, go do whatever we need to do for kids. But I think the focus should always be on the kids and the people that we work with and everything else is secondary.
1: Yeah. And I, I love that. That's way better than what I said, but I do think that that's communication. I mean, your communication is people first, open, transparent, honest, all of those things. And if anybody's around you for more than five seconds, they've picked up on that. But I like that question better than describe your leadership style, because for me, it has been situational. And then I feel like a, you know, depending on the situation, I am going to react and behave differently. But I hope that people would say, I I do try to take a proactive approach. Mm -hmm. I don't like reacting, but I will react if I have to react. And I think leaders really, yes, situational, but I think leaders have to make very difficult decisions and they have to take a stand. Mm -hmm. Superintendents in particular need to know the communities that they serve and need to understand that. I was just on a call recently talking to a group of up and coming superintendents or one, you know, they want to be a superintendent. And one of the questions was, what do you think that every aspiring superintendent should be thinking about? And I said, oh, there's like, there's so many things I said, but you have to ask yourself, do you like people? If you don't like people, you shouldn't be a superintendent and you shouldn't even be an education. If you don't truly love and enjoy people specifically, children, but also adults. It's everybody. That's the beauty of education.
0: Yeah, it is. And you're going to have people, I mean, even as a building principal, I think about today, I think I talked to like over 60 people about totally different things. Like, you know, there's no chocolate milk or this happened on the bus or this parent's calling about this, or this kid's crying about this or this secretary, like there's just part of your job is to over communicate and, you know, It's better to over-communicate and over-produce than under-communicate and under-perform.
1: Oh, I would never want people to say that they didn't know. If they didn't know, that's on me. That's on me as either a building principal, as a teacher, as a superintendent, in the job that I have now. You didn't know? Oops, that's on me. I take a responsibility for that. I take accountability for it. And then we move on. We need... Some of us need better responsibility, better accountability. I'm sure that I'm guilty of that. I'm sure you've been guilty of that because things are situational. But you also have to remember, we as leaders make a ridiculous amount of decisions that we sometimes can't predict, can't know. But making sound decisions and communicating the reason why you've made the decision matters. People can exactly. feel a decision. I mean, I know for a fact, as a superintendent, I've said, the answer is, Absolutely no. And here's why. And once I said why, very few times did I hear anything about it because people understood why. But if I just say no and let it go, then people wonder why. And then they create their own story behind it. I didn't want anybody creating a story. Oh, I'll be here to tell you why. But there's also times where I was like, oh, I don't really have an opinion on that. Shockingly, but I don't have an opinion. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, but that's whatever
1: you want to do. But just tell me your reasoning behind it. Okay.
0: Yeah. Like it's, that's the thing. If you could tell me why, then we can figure out a solution. But if you're like, I'm just not doing it, or I just have whatever feeling for no apparent reason, then we got a problem.
1: Yeah. I feel really great about that tangent. I don't know that we've said anything really important or powerful, but I just feel better talking about it. Don't you?
0: I do. I think we have a new vocabulary word. You know how you thought that I made up the word sesh? I didn't, but this is a time that we're going to make up another word where it's like baseline leadership. That's it. And that's in order to be successful, even on your worst day, if you can do, if you can communicate, if you can make a decision and you can move with it, you're okay.
1: All right. I have something I want to talk about. Okay, great. Let's hear it. Okay. So I was on Twitter and I saw Principal, I I don't, I can't remember the last name. It's like, he's really famous. The um, K-A-F-E-L-E. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so thank you. has like 90,000 followers or something. So he had posted about lesson plans because ASCD pushed out an article and somebody had written an article that administrators or principals shouldn't be checking lesson plans or requiring lesson plans. And so he had responded to that. And then I was kind of going through and reading back and forth and people's perspectives. What is your view on teachers turning in lesson plans and that article? What was your thoughts?
0: So I'm going to come at this from two perspectives. When I got my first teaching job, every single Friday, I had to turn in lesson plans to my supervisor because we were um, a low performing school district. And um, I'm going to be fully transparent here and say that the first couple of times that I turned it in, I was turning in like my college level lesson plans with like 400 pages and all these different things that I like really thought out. And here's the the best part about this story. Not one of those lessons went according to plan when I actually taught it, which led me to be so frustrated within the first couple weeks of teaching because I was like, I'm spending all this time on this lesson plan and it's never turning out the way that I want it. And here's the other thing. I never got any feedback from it. So it wasn't like, oh, these are great plans or like keep doing this or let me ask you a question about this. It was it seemed like it was one of those policies put in place, which I'm sure had good intent somewhere. But as a principal. I don't want my teacher's lesson plans. What I want is to be able to walk into my teacher's rooms at any time during the day and sit there for five to 10 minutes. And then I know I have the, I want to say, follow up or feedback to be able to go back and say, Hey, listen, let's talk about what I saw in your room today, like good or bad, or like give you some points of reference to go back from. I think that lesson plans, turning them in can be an archaic practice unless you have worries or you've talked to the teacher about their planning or you've gone in there and it's looked like a zoo party every day, you know for two weeks. <laughs> but I think that just like baseline making everyone do it because it's a practice that has been done is archaic.
1: That's my opinion. Okay. Well, I I have some opinions too. Okay. So when I was a principal, way, way, way 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 way, way back in the day, My superintendent had all of the building principals have teachers turn in lesson plans. So this was the the days of actual lesson plans in a spiral with the boxes. Okay. So my teachers would turn those in and I never returned the planning book back unless I had looked at them and actually had post-it notes in there with feedback. I had to do that because I didn't think it was right to do it otherwise. So that I think I did well when it comes to that. And I could see when you said that, I was like, okay, so could she go along with that idea? Because again, if we're going to think about accountability, let's Mm -hmm. again, take that lane that you should be able to get feedback. So this was years and, and years ago. And there were some teachers that did it really, really well. And then there were other teachers that just wrote one word in the box. Well, that is a little bit of a challenge. But the other pieces, I could walk into any teacher's classroom at a, at any given time and see what was happening. So I found that to be helpful. But I also felt like I can't have you do this unless I can spend the time to actually look at it. And then I was honest in times when the teacher would come to me and say, have you looked at my plan book yet? Because I need it back. And I would say, actually, no, I haven't. So I'm telling you that because I had an inbox and an outbox, but I did get smarter. And then I had them turn it in by department so that I could see all of the English plans at the same time. And I would spread it out. So I didn't get 50 all at once because that's just unrealistic to think about. So when, so there is that piece I can see. I do agree though. That's a pretty archaic practice now. And I can't tell you, as a teacher, I teach every single day. I can do as many lesson plans as I want. It never goes the way that I'm hoping it's going to go. And I teach adults. So it's never going to go that way. Do I think, now get this, do I think there should be a baseline lesson plan framework expectation of something? Yes, but could that look a million different ways? Actually, yeah, I think it could. Do I think that there should be an accountability piece in place? Yes. Do I think that could look different for a speech pathologist versus a first grade teacher versus an AP chem teacher? Yes, I think that it could, but we have to have flexibility and there should be communication from the administrator of what the expectation is and then have a good reoccurring dialogue. But again, it goes back to where are you going to spend your time? Is it really just checking the box? And when I heard you say that before, you know what I was thinking? That's really no different than districts with their strategic plan that sits in a pretty binder on the wall and, or on the shelf, and nobody ever talks about it. When I do strategic planning, the number one thing that I always hear is, I don't want this to just sit on the shelf. I want it to be a living, breathing document that people can talk to. And I said, well, then that's not about the plan. That's about communication. Yeah. It's always I think, about communication.
0: I think it goes back to the purpose or the why behind something, right? Like when I heard you say you're collecting all of those plan books and they're sitting on your desk, like was the why or the intent to like, make sure that all of the English teachers were teaching things at the same time?
1: Well, then it was because my superintendent said I was going to I do know it. that, but I mean, like was
0: that like the common trend okay. you're looking for, right right? like it goes back to the the intent or the purpose. like I'm always a big proponent of right now when I'm a principal, if I go into a room and, it's like a hot mess express, then I feel like going back and asking the teacher, like, hey, walk me through your lesson plan for that, because I just want to know like where it went wrong and where you strayed from it. And if they're like, hey, listen, I don't have one. And that's why it was a zoo. Then it's like, great, let's talk about it. But I think that asking for that and while you're giving feedback can help them to realize and be reflective as well as yourself. Like maybe I need to be on this more because let's be honest, right now there's so much stuff to do in a day that If you ask for it, I would hate to ask something from somebody and not be able to give them the time and space to give them the right amount of feedback, because then I would feel guilty.
1: Right. Which is why I sat there for hours upon hours and actually read through so that I had a clue what was going on. But then I also felt like it it really did get easier for me. And the reason was because I was in classrooms. I mean, that's a whole different discussion for a different day. Administrators in classrooms. We yeah. cannot just be in classrooms on an a formal observation for their summative evaluation. We just can't. We should be in there all of the time and we have to make the time to do that if that's a priority. But again, it does go back to why are we doing that? Do people really yeah. understand? I talk to teachers all the time. They're like, I never see anybody in my room ever.
0: That's sad. I feel like, I mean, as a principal, that's the best time is when I can go in a classroom for no apparent reason other than I want to sit in the back and listen to them because they say the funniest things ever, like ever. And it makes your whole day.
1: Well, I mean, our hope would be that we do have administrators and evaluators that are coming in. And because it only benefits the teacher for administrators to be in there to see things regularly because then you know. I mean, you don't have a perfect day every day, nor do I. God, so you
0: don't have a perfect day. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I haven't had one since the start of the year. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that that teachers take evaluation very, very seriously. I've never met a teacher that says, I really want to suck today. I want to have a really bad day. I don't meet teachers like that. I, I meet teachers that they want to do a good job, but we have to communicate what that looks like. And when something happens, I think administratively, we should say, That, I'm in your classroom all the time. That was not indicative of what it usually looks like. Let's do a redo, please, please. I mean, we should give grace to everybody in the organization. Don't we talk about that all the time? I wish I could go back. There's probably instances that you wish that you could go back, but I can think of a lot of times as a building principal that I said, so that didn't go well and that definitely was not indicative of what we typically are seeing in your classroom. So you pick the day, you pick the time and I'll come back. Don't even worry about that. Things sometimes just don't go as planned. It's okay.
0: Yeah. And there's just off days. Kids have off days. Adults have off days. I think, again, that goes back to clear communication and follow through. Baseline leadership, right? Like, hey, Baseline listen, i want to be transparent with you right now and tell you, I don't know what I just saw, <laughs> but what we do about right. it after is what counts. And if they're like, oh thought it was great. Then you got a whole different problem on your hands, but I've never met a teacher that has had a bad day that has been like, this is what I do every day. So I don't know what else to say. That's never happened.
1: No. And teachers get so upset about it. And you know why? Because they do care and it's not just teachers. I mean, we see that with people in the organization. I've had building principals say, Oh, uh, Courtney, that was, listen, we can't use that is my evaluation. I'm like, no, because I see you all of the time. Things happen. People happen. Let's have some flexibility. I would want that for myself.
0: Well, and I mean, if we're going to teach kids to take feedback and grow and become better, then we need to do that as adults and not be afraid of it either.
1: Yes. It all comes down to baseline leadership. Our new phrase. I wish we could go back in our book right now, but our book is being published. Otherwise we would have a whole chat. This can be our next book let's announce we're gonna have more than one book why not
0: well we should and we're gonna baseline leadership is gonna be chapter one we're not gonna tell you guys the title yet because we have to figure it out after a couple high noons but we (laughs) we're gonna come out with something something like a sequel
1: okay that was great I feel really good about getting all of this off our chest today so let's go ahead and introduce our guest why don't you do that please
0: Okay, so I already talked to you guys a little bit about Ellen. Courtney, you're right, we have Ellen Tate, who is from the Kellogg School of Management. As I said before, she's a coach, she's an author, she's a speaker, she has a book out The Mirror Door, so you should definitely buy that. And don't forget to pre-order our book that is also on Amazon and on Rowan and Littlefield, and soon to be on Barnes and Noble. I had to do a little plug there. But before we bring Ellen to you, and I know you guys are busy right now typing our book in on Amazon, so we're gonna give you a second to get that done. But we're gonna hear a Sparkle Spotlight from none other than our Sparkle sister, Dr. Bhavna Sharma-Lewis.
1: Hi, this is Bhavna Sharma-Lewis with today's Sparkle Spotlight. No one really sees what you do right. Everyone sees what you do wrong though. And when that becomes clear to you, you will start doing things for the right reasons, and you will start having so much more fun. Cheers to living your best life. Sparkle on.
0: All right, everyone, we have Ellen Taith. She is a fabulous F4 leader. We are so excited to have her on today's episode of Unsupervised Leadership. Isn't that right, Courtney?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited that Ellen is here. Uh, We have just done our intro, and as you know, she's a clinical associate professor at the Kellogg School of Management, an executive coach, a TEDx speaker, a brand specialist, and the author of a new book called The Mirrored Door, Breakthrough the Hidden Barrier that Locks Successful Women in Place. Ellen, welcome
2: to Unsupervised Leadership. Thank you. Thank you, Courtney and Kate. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Well, we are thrilled. Listen, we've done a little bit about you. We would like you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. But before we do that, our most important question, Ellen, what is your favorite drink?
2: My favorite is uh, alcohol wise is, is a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. Oh. I do like Prosecco like you too as well. But, but usually my go-to is Sauvignon Blanc.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, obviously we support that because mm-hmm. as you know. We're equal opportunity when it comes to anything drinking. So let's go ahead and cut to the chase. Ellen, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So um,
2: I am, um, you know, currently writing, I have written this book, I'm launching the book. Um, and it's, it's after 25 years in corporate America in sales and then brand management. I ran a small company uh, that focused in brand strategy and market research. And uh, late in my career, I switched over into higher education. So I teach a class called Personal Leadership Insights at Kellogg, and I run the Women's Leadership Program. Um, so I've been doing that seven years. Uh, love it. It's, it's a whole you know, career pivot. Um, and personally, I live in Chicago. Um, I, my husband and I are empty nesters, um, and we have two young adult daughters. Um, One who's still in college and one who uh, we just moved to San Diego, uh, literally got back last night. (laughs) So so it's a new level of empty nester uh, now now that she's left Chicago.
1: Wow. That's incredible. So you were in the corporate world. Now you're living in this world of education. We can't wait to dive into that, right, Kate?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's great. Okay, Ellen, so... You you briefly talked about your book that you have coming out, and I think everybody has heard of the glass ceiling before, but your book
2: is about a mirror door. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. um and uh you know, there's so much focus on the glass ceiling, and my view is that we can't get anywhere close to that unless we open the mirror door. Mm-hmm. And the mirror door is really my metaphor. Uh, for this thing that I was seeing in myself and my students and in women that I've coached or uh, other friends, where opportunity is right in front of us. And we hesitate, we think that we're not ready or not worthy, incorrectly, and busy ourselves doing these things that have worked for us before, like perfecting and pleasing or fitting in or, you know, a number of other things that I have identified in the book. And we're holding back instead of walking through with our less imperfect self and um, learning from living through uncertainty. And, and the guys are more likely to do this. I think, I think frequently it, it uh, connects back to things that we learned growing up and, and all that. But we hold back, we hold our voices back, whether it's raising our hands in the classroom uh, or going for a promotion, or or some other opportunity when we're ready to go for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is
0: just based on what you were saying and now thinking about your background being in corporate America and now being in education, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see a difference in the mirror door in corporate America or education for females? Because I think, Traditionally, education has a lot more females per se that are in that workforce, whereas corporate America, I think it's more split 50-50. So now that you have experience in both, do you feel the same way or do you think
2: one is more different than the other? Um, I think that it's it's more um, the mirror door pops up more frequently when you are the only or one of the fewer in the room. So whether that's in business or there's places in higher ed where uh, the higher you go or, or anywhere in education, many times the higher you go, um, the numbers change. And, and that's where I think it does come up uh, more frequently. The rules are so different. The norms, how things operate are so different by company, but certainly by the business world relative to at least my one experience uh, in education. Mm -hmm. Um, So that inherently is a little bit different. Thanks.
1: Yeah, do you see that there's a a disconnect between higher ed and K-12 or pre-K-12 education now that you're in higher ed?
2: Um, I would say I'm not the expert on K through 12 uh, other than my own experience as a parent. Uh, and in kind of a lot of different conversations that I have. Um, so so I don't really know. I don't really know how the difference is there. You know, I do feel like um, the the challenges in particular of high school, of the pressure of, of students and parents, and likely what teachers face with parents is a whole different ballgame than, uh, you know, MBA students who are in their late 20s.
1: Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I appreciate you saying that. So tell us a little bit more about the book. What are five strategies that help women succeed, but also unintentionally sidelined them? We've been sidelined before. Haven't we, Kate? Yeah, we
0: have. <laughs> it's been great.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Ellen, please help Ellen. us. <laughs> sure.
2: I like that you got through that with a smile, Kate, uh, <laughs> that we, we have all faced that at times. Um, so I see these five strategies. They help us to be successful, but they also can sideline us. And um, the first one is preparing to perfection. Mm-hmm. and And it's it's sometimes overdoing it when we are ready enough. Um, and that is one that I can go through each one of these. But uh, the next one is eagerly pleasing. And this is um, being so other oriented, which which certainly helps us, it makes us so strong at what we do, but it also can get in the way if we're not raising conflict or, um, you know, addressing uh, things that take care of our own needs too, when we're not part of the equation. Um, The next one is fitting the mold. This may be more true in the business world, um, but it's, it's, you know, reading the culture or the norms of of what they think they hired in me and then trying to adapt to that. Um, And and we lose our authenticity, I think, when we um, are are doing that as well versus trying to break the mold of what a leader looks like uh, as well. Um, The next one is working pedal to the metal. This might be familiar where um, you're just working so hard, full steam ahead, uh, and sometimes it can lead to burnout, or sometimes it can lead to not bringing others along with us. Um, mm. And that's where sometimes biases also um, r- show up in the business world or in other workplaces uh, that, you know, women are deemed as too aggressive, um, when they may be are, are taking the same actions as um, some of the, uh, the men um, as well. And then the last one is performing patiently. And this is really about um, working hard, not being the squeaky wheel, hoping to be noticed and believing that that will happen. And uh, this is where many times women can see self-promotion as, yuck, I don't want to do that. I shouldn't have to do that. But the reality is that in a lot of work environments, it is about collaborative career planning and moving forward and, and having the conversations that say this is what I'm interested in in having in my career what do I need to do to get there and will you advocate for me as well mm-hmm. um so I just skimmed the surface on those five um but they they can be great for us and they can also um get in our way
1: yeah I feel like your book is a great complement to our book Quite yeah. honestly, I feel like um there's, there's so many opportunities for women to collaborate on some of these things. And I know you're doing a lot of work at at the higher ed level, you know, that part that you said about fitting the mold and you know, that it's like that in corporate America. So I can tell you that when I was hearing you speak about that, I was recently working with a group of women superintendents in Illinois. And one of them said that when she would come into a region meeting And it was majority men that though, when she got ready that morning, she'd put on a Mm pantsuit and her husband's like, you must be going to one of your region meetings. And she's like, how do you know? He goes, because you never dress like that, except when you go to that meeting. And she's like, I know I'm trying to fit in. He's like, stop it. Just go be yourself because this is not, you know, you're trying to quote unquote, fit the mold and you need to go be you. And she told that story and, and everyone in the room was like, yeah, yeah. So I do think that it happens in the education world as well. And uh, there are just a lot of similarities there. That's what
2: I love that story. Really and, and it, it happens in so many places. And th- th- at some level that is, you might feel like I'm being smart to fit in, but it also can eat away at our confidence or we can think that who they really want is someone that's different than me. And it can see this doubt and and even the extra energy of what should I wear because (laughs) I'm in this different environment. Now, certainly our dress is somewhat important, but Mm -hmm. the more we can break the mold and have different, uh, different looks to our leadership, um, different styles. And I don't mean just clothes style (laughs) on that, but different ways that, that people act. And I think that the more, um, we have uh higher numbers there there's inherently going to be uh different styles of leadership that, that the world needs we all need to see different different people to where we can you know forge our own way
1: yeah yeah I'm not knocking pantsuits <laughs> I'm
2: just I know, yeah.
1: <laughs> like, sure. yeah yeah I'm just saying that wasn't work yeah. yeah and, and yeah. I like the fact that, that you're saying that. it's just about clothing it's about who we really are and who we bring to the table. So yeah, I love those five strategies, don't you, Kate?
0: I do. You know, the one that I love the most, I think, was the last one where you talk about women, when they promote themselves or they start talking about their accomplishments and you see like confidence in them and their creativity and they have that energy where people are drawn to them, where automatically there are people that are like, why is she doing that? Like, she's so full of herself. She's all about herself. This is all about her. But, you know, stereotypically, if a male does that, they're like, wow, he's so accomplished. Listen to all of his accolades and things that he has done. And in partly a lot of the people talking about that in the room are are women, other women, most of the time. And we talk a lot about that on the podcast. And I know you um, have some experience or you've talked a lot about the queen bee and how, um, and we've also talked about that, the queen bee being someone that there's only room for one of us. There's not room for all of us, but you have a different take on the hype woman. Can you talk about that a
2: little bit to our listeners? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's all about helping other women. It's, it's why I was excited to get invited on your podcast because this is what you're doing too. You're being very open about the real issues that you face. You're helping other people feel like they're not alone. And the more we do that and give a, a helping hand up or over uh the the more we get rid of this queen bee thing um and and the queen bee was it it, it comes up when there's fewer women or a perception that there can be only one of us mm-hmm. um and so so part of you know the the um, my view of opening the mirror door is, is as you go through you grow your courage you grow your community And you grow this, the support of other women too. Um, So, uh, you know, there's just some great examples of um, more and more women saying like, forget this, you know, having us go against each other. We need to, we are such a powerful force to support each other and move forward.
1: Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we still have women that are continuing to be, the Queen Bees and not getting behind that particular idea or initiative. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing then in higher ed when you talked about that you're organizing or running some women in leadership work. What does that look like for you? What are some of the things you're doing?
2: Yeah. So um, one of the very first things uh, I actually have later this week is a women's welcome event. Um, And this stems from seeing in orientation, uh, years ago, uh, you know, a group of new students, there is a, um, uh, a, a C- CEO spoke to our group. We, she opened it up for questions. And the next thing, you know, all the men raised their hands and the women didn't. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment of like very first day of school, You've got this whole big program ahead of you. This could be life changing and not raising their hands. So one of the things is how do we, before that big orientation event, how do we bring women together, help them to know that they were not at an admissions mistake. They are here for a reason. They can do this. And we do some networking in that so that they meet people who are unlike themselves too in, in this group of you know almost 200 women. So just even that sense of like, you, you deserve to be here, you got this and you can do it. Um, and we share some of the things that some of these success strategies that can light us too, they can occur even in study groups or things like that. So we do things like that. And then we also um, do a women's leadership seminar series. That's one of the, the, my signature program that I run. Um, and it's all about sharing um, different ways to navigate the workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that includes some of our amazing professors sharing things like negotiations, executive presence, um, leveraging your empathy in, in good ways, uh, things like that, building your resilience, but then also panel of, um, panels of alumni who share their stories. I think there's so much to sharing hearing other women's stories and helping people to feel that they're not alone, and the value, they always share the value of friendships, of building relationships with colleagues, um, how to network. And I think women network in a, in a way that um, is really dependent upon deeper relationships. So we have the power to do that. It's like, we have to shift people to the power of good uh, Mm -hmm. too. And, and, you know, I think in groups, when, when there is that queen bee or that bad behavior, uh, it's the, the more we can cut that off and make that the undesirable thing, and that takes individuals to do, you know, yeah. we could say it as a norm in an organization, but it takes individuals to, to make that change, to be mm-hmm. able to do
0: that. Okay, Alan, so you've been in, you were in corporate America for 25 years. So was there a person or an experience that happened to you during that time that made you so passionate about, you know, helping women to get into these leadership roles, find their voice?
2: Um, or has it just always been you? Or kind of where did that spark come from? Um, it actually was after corporate America, I joined my first board. Mm-hmm. And a couple years later, I joined another one. And then i joined another one so i'm on three boards and there was a time on each one where i was the only woman and that is how i started my career in the 80s i was the only woman in the sales cohort the leadership the sales class um and so i I, to be honest with you i didn't know i didn't realize i was busy building my career building my family growing my family um, and it was kind of later in my career where I realized, wow, we are not making the progress I would have thought or that I thought was happening. And this cannot be the bookends of my career. Uh, and so I started to to speak on panels. I, in each board, got to the nominating governance uh, chair role, which is how you recruit other board directors. Um and that way we changed how we recruited. It was no longer just someone's network that looks just like them. Um, so, uh, so I was able to change it there. Um, and then I became a, a coach and heard about this women's leadership program at Kellogg and thought, I've never done anything like this, but I want to go for it. And mm-hmm. I ended up getting it.
1: Wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. We would love to partner with you to be honest with you, some of the work that you're doing, I bet that you could help us and we could help you. Mm-hmm. So we're going to stay it. in contact after this, Ellen, yeah, for sure. It.
2: Love it. Absolutely. I, mean, I do. I, I talk to a lot of different groups and sometimes they're not sort of squarely that business, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. And there's so much of this that is just so true for women, um, regardless of what industry or function they're in.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've been asked to come and speak to insurance companies, for example, different corporations, for example, because women are everywhere and that should be a really positive thing. And I don't think that the work that we have done on our podcast, and thanks to Kate for putting me in this position a year ago, um, she's like, wasn't this podcast a great idea? I'm like, is it? <laughs> yeah. But but yeah. We, we found that the impact is far beyond Education, which is how, you know, you connected with the two of us today, which is incredible. Are there any F4 leaders, fun, fabulous, fierce females that you would like to shout out, Ellen? And also, can you tell our listeners how they could get in touch with you
2: if they would like to? Sure. So um, the person who comes to mind is Mary Dillon, and she is the CEO of uh, Foot Locker right now and she is somebody who i worked with her years ago at quaker Oats. um uh, she has just made a big impact in the business world but she's done it in a way where she is a great smart business leader but she's a great people leader too Mm. and she's a lot of fun she is known to to to, to love doing karaoke it's kind of like one one of her things and she's just a, a real humanistic leader, um, that I think is the kind of leader that we need. So I just, I always am thrilled to see her progress there too. And from, uh, getting in touch with me, uh, my website is ellentafe.com. There's a newsletter on that. Um, and on LinkedIn, I'm at Ellen Tafe also. Um, I have a, a newsletter on LinkedIn as well. Um, and you can follow me there as well. So that's awesome. I find me at Kellogg too. Yeah,
1: perfect. Well, we'll make sure that we, when we push this out, that we give your contact information as well. And I think it goes without saying, listeners, you need to get out there and buy a copy of "The Mirrored Door: Break Through the Hidden Barrier That Locks Successful Women in Place." Ellen, you've been incredible, incredible. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being on Unsupervised Leadership. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. And I love what you're doing. Keep at it. Thank you. Um, Kate, I'm turning it over to you.
0: All right, everybody, we brought you another great guest. You guys are getting really spoiled lately. So we were were so happy to have Ellen on today and you know how to reach her. We're going to make sure we put that in our episode release so that you can connect with her and Kellogg and all of the other women out there that are trying to get into different roles and make themselves seen. So never forget, if you don't have a seat at the table, you can always sit with us until next week.